1: Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel See Sit back, relax, or get up and do something. Whatever it is that you happen to be doing, just thank you for taking us along. In this half hour, we'll be talking to Rabbi Schneer Silverberg from the West Chabad Torah Center. They're opening up a new mikvah, so we're going to talk about, believe it or not, mikvah. What is this, uh, I guess, you can't call it a custom, but it's like pillar of actually of Judaism and, uh, well, pretty pretty interesting stuff. They're dedicating a new one in their building. So, this is going to be great. I'm looking forward. The second half hour of the show, we'll be zooming in on the portion of the week, which is Korach. Good Bible story stuff going on over there, but... Like if every portion there's like a little bit that doesn't talk about the story at the point we're going to focus on, and that's really that's an amazing thing, and that's going to be from the portion of Numbers, uh, chapter 16 and following. We've got music scattered throughout the show, a dynamic, amazing, crusitic story all the way at the end. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. <laughs> The IDF arrested a Jerusalem teenager who was planning a terrorist attack. Israeli Air Force jets destroyed two Iranian munition sites south of Damascus. One Syrian was injured. Russia will be the next country to open a consul in central Jerusalem. This is following the lead of the United States to put their embassy there. It will take about five years for the building to be built. The defense in the Tree of Life synagogue shooting case rested without presenting any evidence or calling any witnesses. The defense lawyer said her job was to have the defendant avoid the death penalty. Germany will be paying $1.4 billion in reparations this year, the largest sum for a single year. There are about 240,000 Holocaust survivors still alive. Much of the funds will go to Holocaust education and social service organizations th- that in, in 83 countries that service survivor needs. The U.S. House of Representatives voted unanimously to approve a non-binding resolution demanding that Russia release Wall Street Journal reporter Ivan Gershkovitz. Gershkovitz is the first reporter arrested in Russia since the end of the Cold War. He faces up to 20 years in a Soviet penal colony, if convicted of espionage, and in the sport, Israel came in third in the under twenty soccer World Cup. By you remember, they lost to Uruguay, went on to win it. So, but Israel came in third in the under twenty cup World Cup by beating South Korea three one in the semifinals consolation game. Next up for Israel is the World Lacrosse Championship this week. In San Diego, Israel is ranked seventh. The United States and Canada, uh, they, they, that's where lacrosse is. And how many people play lacrosse in the world anyway? Like seven? Anyway, that's the news. Her, Shul here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We have online Rabbi Schneer Silverberg from the Beis Chabad Torah Center in West Bloomfield. We're going to be talking about mikveh as they are dedicating their new and improved, updated, renovated mikveh. How
0: are you today, Schneer? Baruch Hashem. Thank God doing well. Thank you for... Uh having me on. Appreciate the opportunity. It's our pleasure. Okay, before we do
1: anything, I think we once spoke about Mikvah on the Jewish Hour. We've been on 29 years, I think we spoke once about it. So, for those people who are not familiar with the concept, and as I said in my introduction, that Mikvah is actually one of the pillars of Judaism, could you give us a brief overview of what Mikvah is?
0: Sure. So, I'm just going to add a line, to a word to what you said. You mentioned now mikvah is one of the pillars um, of Judaism. And I think it's interesting because mikvah is, I think, one of the great unknown pillars of Judaism. You know, if you were to ask uh, the average Jew or even the average non-Jew, you know, what are some of the essential ideas within Judaism? They may talk about faith in God or Shabbat or charity, kosher people are familiar with. But equal to all of that, is the mikvah, because the mikvah is, as you said, a pillar. It's the pillar of Jewish family life. Um, certainly within uh, younger families, the, the idea of building a family together and a husband and wife and the intimacy between a husband and wife centers around the mitzvah of mikvah. And um, the mikvah is a body of water. Uh, simply put, it is a pool of water in uh, into which um men and women will immerse themselves in different situations um based on the laws of family purity, which are complex, and there's uh, many, many details to these laws. but within the uh, cycle of marriage, within the cycle of, of um within a woman's cycle, there is necessary times for a woman to go to the mikvah. There are customary times that a man goes to the mikvah thereby maintaining a certain purity within the family and um, allowing a family to build and have children in accordance with Torah law. That's the um, perhaps most common use of a mikvah. In addition to that, the mikvah, which again is this pool of water perhaps we'll get to a little bit more in a moment, is also used as an essential part of the conversion process, Um, one of the steps of conversion Is that one needs to immerse in a mikvah before converting to Judaism? Kind
1: of like a baptism. It's often the final step.
0: I'm I'm sorry.
1: Kind of like a baptism. You should pardon the expression.
0: Yeah. That might be where they got it from. Right. Exactly. So, so uh, it is a it is the final step. It is not by any means the only step in the process of conversion, but it is often, I think, generally speaking, it is the final step. In, uh, in conversion, in which case when a man or a woman, or for that matter, a child, is converting, when all the other steps have been completed, they go into the mikveh, and when they emerge from the mikvah, they are then Jewish. So it is a plays a prominent role in that as well. Um, and finally, there is also just an element of purity to the mikveh, and even um, it's connected to um, teshuva, repentance, renewal, uh, perhaps the most common day that people will go to the mikvah is the uh, the day before Yom Kippur, as part of the purification process from sin. And again, again, um, much like conversion, it is only one step. One cannot immerse in the mikvah and thereby be purified from their mistakes, but it is a step as part of the process of purification. And I guess that's the running theme for any use of the mikvah: is that it brings a certain elements of purity. To various elements of one's life. Okay, now so
1: the rules of mikvah were are biblical, which means like we're talking thirty three hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Couldn't couldn't we say that this going to uh, into this pool of water once a month uh, is more got to do with cleanliness? And now that we have modern techniques and we have people have bathtubs and we have soap that. The mikvah is not necessary anymore, Shneer.
0: So that's a great point, and uh, and and I'm glad you bring it up because you you help clarify a great misunderstanding, and that is often people do associate the mikvah with the process of cleanliness. When in fact, if you look at the halachas of the mikvah, it was never designed as an as a cleansing agent um, because it required very specific rules. And often, often, interestingly, those rules lead to a less clean arrangement. And what I mean by that is that, you know, the the rules of a mikvah is that it cannot go through any processing. The water cannot be processed in any vessels. It cannot be brought through any vessels. It really requires a certain uh, natural body of water. And often natural bodies of water are not clean. Um, And there is an understanding among the sages um, who studies, you know, the Torah and explained to us the oral tradition of the Torah, and that is that the Hebrew word for the, what happens in a mikvah is tahara, which means purity, and that's the way the Torah describes it, is tahara. There's a different word for cleanliness. Cleanliness is nikim, liyot naki, naki means to be clean. The Torah doesn't use that when it comes to uh, the mikvah. It talks about purity. And, uh, and, the, uh, and the Rambam, Maimonides, and others point out that the concept of purity in Judaism, is an area which is not really logical or scientific. It is one of those elements of Judaism, which is a chok, which is simply super irrational, if you may. And the concept of, of the mikvah was never about being clean, and it was always about being pure. And that's how you could have a very dirty mikvah. I, I, I,
1: I hope the mikvah in West Blomfield is not, not dirty, but
0: you can Not, not this off. one, but you can theoretically you know you can you can experience a very dirty mix and it still fulfills the obligation of purity obviously a mix ideally should be clean and and certainly that's the way most mikvas are on the other hand you could have a, a bathtub which is pristine and clean and has all the uh, Cleansing power in the world, and it's not kosher to be a mikvah. Because mm-hmm. the mikvah was never about cleanliness, it was always about purity. Yeah, also to note that a woman
1: before she goes into the mikveh must be absolutely clean. There's a whole process, which a, a, a spa day basically, which ensues before going to the mikveh. So she's already clean before she goes into the mikvah. But if you could zoom in on what's the difference between purity and cleanliness, Rabbi Schnurr, Silverberg?
0: Ah. So, I would suppose. I mean, there's, as as I mentioned earlier, the concept of purity, cleanliness is a rational concept. Purity is not a, is not a rational concept. Um, so, perhaps simply put, purity is the cleanliness of the soul. And although we understand that the soul has a certain uh, um, that to, to cleanse the soul requires inward work, and that's certainly true but um, the torah tells us sometimes that there are certain steps that can be take that can be can be taken and there's certain powers that exist in this world that provide a certain spiritual cleanliness so i guess this similarity is that there is uh they're both connected to that there is this element of cleanliness but it's a spiritual cleanliness as opposed to a physical cleanliness because again the uh the concept of mikvah is is not about the cleanliness of the body It's it's about the transformation of the person, a spiritual transformation, not a physical transformation.
1: Okay, let me tell you a story. Um, Sometime around the year 1903, my Bubby of Blessed Memory got married in Poland in a small shtetl. And the rabbi said that he would not marry her unless she went to mikveh. So she said, Okay, I'll go to mikveh. And not having it explained to her or what it was and the, the condition of the mikvah of the shtetl in Poland, it was probably nothing more basically than a hole in the ground filled with uh, rainwater. Her response was, if I need a bath, I'll take one in a tub. And uh, there was this idea that m- mikvah was, that, that, that she was like in a, she was an unclean person. And now suddenly she's like a clean person And uh, it was sort of like the way Shabbos was explained to me. My mother, who uh, was not religious, explained to me that Shabbos was a whole bunch of you can'ts. And uh, what I found was that Shabbos was not a whole bunch of you can'ts. Shabbos was a whole bunch of you don't have tos, which was a a whole different angle at looking at it and saying, wow, Shabbos is really beautiful. So there was this this overlying attitude towards mikvah from people coming from Poland. Tell, explain to us how it transformed into some of the mikvahs that I've seen around would, would just shame some of these like all day spas that people pay hundreds of dollars to go to for a day.
0: Yes. that's And by the way, if you don't mind, I'll share. Yeah. I feel like many people have these stories in their background. So, so we have a family tradition as well. And this goes back a little further. This is my great-grandmother's great-grandmother. Whoa, so my right. father shares that his grandmother would tell him this story about his great-grandmother, who lived in the 1840s in Russia. At the time, one of the tragedies that befell the uh, the Jewish people there was the the uh, conscription at a very young age of uh, Jewish boys into the Russian army. They were known as Cantonists, and they would—it's— uh, it's, a, it's so it was a very tragic ordeal that they would uh, go from city to city and require the Jewish community to provide children who then would be sent off to the uh, to the army and raised there in obviously a very uh, un-Jewish environment. And most of these boys that were chosen, that were collected to be the Kemptonists, ended up living very uh, secluded lives on their own, sometimes forming their own little communities. But anyways, my great, I guess my great-grandmother's great-grandmother, she married one such Cantonist. And she married him while he was still at the last few, during the, the the end of his time in the army. I think he was there for 20 years. And because he was stationed in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of Russia, not part of a Jewish community, so they, um, she had to go to the mikvah. And there was no mikvah nearby. And the only option was a frozen body of water, and it happens to be a natural frozen lake, a natural lake is kosher to use as a mikvah, not necessarily a man made this and the laws of mikvah are very complex but a lake or the ocean, theoretically are kosher as a mikvah, in the middle of the winter in Russia the, the uh, lake froze over and uh, you know, you hear these stories but for us, this was our family tradition and, my, and she would go, middle of the winter, and break a hole in the ice and use the mikvah, so to your point, how we've come a long way and I think about it, you know, I was just actually thinking this morning about this, if she were to imagine how uh, literally 180 years after breaking the ice, middle of the night in Russia, she were to see her great 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 grandchildren opening up a, a really a state of the art mikvah and inviting the community. I wonder how she'd feel. You know, I don't know. Maybe she would think this is a luxury and a mitzvah should be uh, with sacrifice. But what I'd hope she'd appreciate, and I think this is the idea behind these beautiful mikvahs, is that. The the mikvah is such a a special mitzvah. It really is. It's not only a spiritual mitzvah. There's been many who have written about it and spoken about it, how it it also physically enhances one's life and physically enhances one's marriage, strengthens the relationship within marriage, adds an element of mystique and romance even to to a relationship. And it's a mitzvah that really we want to make available and more important appealing. As many people as possible, and I think that's why mikvah, you see, around the world has been taken up to, uh, taken up a notch. And there are there are those who support mikvahs because they'll recognition that it's such an important mitzvah, and to some maybe the door to entering the mikvah, will be seeing a beautiful, a beautiful spa-like building, even though at the core of the building, at the core of the institution, is the simple pure waters, but. Often this is just the gateway. This is what brings people in. And it's such an important mitzvah so that we want to make it appealing and enjoyable to as many people as possible. And that's the uh, I think that's the reason behind the investment in beautiful mitzvahs nowadays. Okay. Our
1: guest today is Rabbi Schneer Silverberg from the West Bloomfield Base Chabad Torah Center. We are talking about a mikveh. They are dedicating a mikveh this week, and uh, you're welcome to go. If you didn't miss the dedication, which is on Sunday at noon, you could call up the Torah Center and ask for a tour, I'm sure. I'm taking liberty there, Schnur, didn't ask you first. But, okay, so there are many, numerous stories of people who wrote for a blessing for children from the Baba and I'm going to actually tell one at the end of the story, end of the end of the hour, where the Rebbe advised that people be uh, tighten up or or at least get involved with the laws of family purity, as we call them, which involves going to the mikvah. Is the mikvah some kind of like magic pool that people can have kids?
0: Well, I can't answer that question as to what exactly the mechanism is, but I, I will simply say that there's a certain, you know, there's a certain mystique and there's a certain mystical power that the mikvah has, and it's a uh, there's, there's different ideas explained within Kabbalah that the uh, the is the is compared within Kabbalistic text to the emergence of the womb that the child when a baby is born. Children in the womb are aquatic creatures. They are surviving in liquid, and then as they emerge from the womb, they now live on earth, and the Kabbalah compares emerging from the mikvah like a child that emerges from the womb. uh, Elsewhere, the Kabbalah compares the mikvah experience to creation, in which if you uh, examine the beginning of the book of Horatius, of Genesis, you see that the the world was initially covered by water and then God separated the waters to reveal the dry earth. So we see his, we see mystically and also biblically that there's this idea of birth that happens emerging from the water. And so uh, Kabbalah highlights this when it comes to the mikvah. So while I can't explain the mechanism of how mikvah brings, ber- brings blessing and specifically blessing with regards to children, but again, the, my- the mystical sages explain that the mikvah has the power of renewal and bringing new blessing, new life, and perhaps that explains to some degree the link between mikvah and new blessing in life, particularly in family life.
1: Okay, that's really cool. Thank you for that. It's interesting to note, and there is a point of comparison, that the flood, for example, back in the days of Noah, was 40 days and 40 nights, and the size that a mikvah needs to be is called 40 saw, which I don't think there's an English translation for the word saw because they don't exist in English. So but the forty forty is the idea of uh, the just like a mikvah purifies a, a person, so the flood was purifying the world. Okay, so yeah. um way back in like nineteen sixty something, Rabbi Yitzhak David Growner, blessed memory, arrived on the scene in, in Melbourne and there was no real community mikvah. It was like an old thing which had been built 100 years before that. And he, he made an appeal. And people were saying they didn't know from it, know what they really needed for. And it was they wanted. They were looking to build a synagogue, which should be something like a place where people a showcase peace. And he got up and made a fiery speech, the essence of which was you can pray in your bedrooms, but you have to have a mikvah. And we're not going to have a synagogue until we have a mikvah. And indeed, Stephen Weil, who used to be the rabbi of Young Israel over here in, South, in, in Oak Park, when they were discussing about the mikvah and whatnot and said that Young Israel, which was in the middle of, of refurbishing itself and expanding it, said, we're going to stop the reconstruction on Young Israel until the mikvah is done. So... It, explain that you know synagogue versus mikvah. If you could just just very quickly explain uh, explain that, please.
0: On a very technical level, and I'm glad you bring this up because on a technical level, you know the the, the Talmud and the halacha talks about if you come to a city. Suppose you uh, you're a group of people and uh, you 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 want to build a city, and uh, so from a Jewish standpoint, what takes priority? I mean, there's so many there's so many uh, things to build, right? You want to build a A school. You want to build a shul. You want to build a um, a shopping center. You want to build a a sushi store, right? So there's all sorts of (laughs) critical things that you need that you need that you need to build. And yet, it says the first the first item of business that needs to be tended to is the mikvah. The mikvah supersedes all that. And it's because, as you as you correctly noted, that most other areas of Judaism, even though a synagogue is certainly a house of worship and a house of faith, and it's an essential part of Jewish life. But you can technically fulfill the obligation of prayer at home. You can technically fulfill the obligation of Torah study at home. The exception to that is a mikvah. Uh, the mikvah is, is critically needed in order for there to be family life, and again, in accordance with Jewish law. And if I may, I, again, there's a lot of – there's many laws and discussion about the what that means. I know we're somewhat vague. What does it mean, family life mikvah? And for that, I would direct you – There's plenty of resources online. You can go to Chabad.org and put in mikvah and there's an entire site dedicated to that. So there's plenty of opportunity of places to read more about what those obligations are. But suffice to say that a family, a husband and wife, particularly in childbearing age, um, cannot, cannot function without a mikveh. So while there are many essential parts of Jewish life, the mikveh is one that there is no DIY, do-it-yourself option. It is. It has to be done with a proper mikvah, and a mikvah requires effort and and halachic knowledge to build a proper mikvah, and that's why it becomes uh, it becomes as essential as you just described.
1: Okay. Now, so the Beis Shabbat Torah Center West Bloomfield is redid its mikvah. The mikvah was first built, I think, 1975. Is that
0: correct? 19. 19- 73 so 1973
1: uh, I'm sorry there. no 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 I apologize 1983 1983 okay so the, Correct. The, the building was built in 73 and in 83 they they managed to put in a mikvah. so it's okay so it's 40 years old but it was probably sure it was made with like you know proper proper concrete and it was functioning right. and people were using it every month People women were going and so why was it felt necessary to to Basically, a lot of the social hall was given up for this construction of this new mikveh. Why, why was it deemed necessary? What was the feeling among people, I suppose, especially the women who are the ones who are mainly using it, right? that the, the mikvah needed to be turned into something more than what it was?
0: Right. Okay. So to clarify, the, uh, the Torah Center, the Beis Chabad Torah Center was built in 1982. The mikveh was built one year later, 1983. My, my okay. parents... Uh, came down here as Shluchim, Emissaries of the Rebbe, in 1975. For a while, they were in the local public school, and then they built the building in 1982, okay, got it. where it stands today. So so in 1983, it, the, uh, already 1982, when they built the building, they had in mind, they partitioned off certain space for the mikvah. It was built in 1983, and it was a very basic mikvah. And maybe at the time, 40 years ago, that was the standard, but it was very basic. It was a single mikvah. And it was a very small community, and it was an older community. The the uh, Those who built the the, uh, the foundations of our Be'ez Chabad Torah Center were Holocaust survivors. Um, and so the mikvah at the time, there was limited use of it. Um, it was used, but much more limited. And then over the years, firstly, uh, over the course of time, a building, and uh, especially one which deals with a lot of water, which perhaps causes erosion, etc. So that's took its toll over the course of time and it was worn down. But perhaps more importantly, the community grew significantly and grew a lot younger. I mean, the way the community is now to the way it was, you can't compare it to the way it was 40 years ago. It is easily four or five times the size and there is an abundance of youth. You know, and uh, Shabbos here at Beis Chabad will have anywhere from 50 to 75 children running around. So it's a, it is a very useful community. And therefore the mikvah really um, was not sufficient, was not tending to the needs of the community. It was small, it was basic. Furthermore, it was used by both men and women, obviously separate times and the separate times of day. But, but that caused um, a certain discomfort because a proper mikvah, proper mikvah for women is one that is exclusively for women. And so therefore it simply was old and it was, uh, it was really in need of a... Of, of a remake. And so we set to the task of doing so. And one very critical part of this construction is that now there are actually three mikvahs. So we have the men's mikvah, a separate men's mikvah, and the women's mikvah, which is by far the nicest, as well as a third mikvah, which is a vessel mikvah, which I know we didn't touch upon, but that's another area within Jewish law about uh, dipping vessels into the water. So you have three separate mikvahs. That's why it's called the mikvah center. And it is, you really can't compare. So I don't, we don't even refer to it as a renovation. Renovation implies that there's a mikvah and, you know, change the tiling. This is an entirely new mikvah, and all, you know, two of the mikvas are absolutely new. The third one was, uh, was, was broken down to its bare bones and then rebuilt um, to create a much, much more beautiful environment, welcoming environment, comfortable environment for the use of the mikvah. So, in short, the answer to your question is that the mikvah that was simply was no longer sufficient um, for the community, and it was, it was uh, well beyond time to give, give the community a, a proper, beautiful mikveh.
1: Okay. So, if a married woman who is more interested in this concept of mikvah is interested in finding out more, maybe getting a tour of the mikvah, maybe speaking to somebody mm-hmm. about going to the mikvah, is there somebody they can call?
0: Yes, so I would direct them to uh, my wife, one of the Rebitsons here. Her name is Zizi Silberberg, and she is uh, she's certainly taking a leading role over here in educating about mitzvah. She actually um, is a certified teacher when it comes to mitzvah, took a several-year course on that for brides and for women, and she is more than happy to, to give anyone a, a tour and, more importantly, an education of the beauty of this mitzvah um, her should I just share her email address? Is yeah,
1: email is email. Or better, you have a website that usually works
0: better. Than there is know. a website. The website is base. Well, the website for the mikvah, the mikvah has its own website, and that okay. is uh, there you go, com. Okay. The name of the mikvah, Maller is m a l l o r, walder is w a l d e r, mikvah is mikvah.com,
1: malderwaldermikvah.com,
0: and uh. Okay. And otherwise, try to get a hold of ZC Silverberg. You can find her online on Facebook, and uh, you should be able to make a uh, connect with her. And uh, she's the person to talk to about a tour. And, uh, and or a class on the topic.
1: Okay, wonderful. Our guest today has been Rabbi Schneer Silverberg of the West, base, uh, West, West bloomfield based Chabad Torah Center. We're talking about the uh, newly refurbished Mikvah Center and Mikvah. We want to thank you so much for coming on and wish you continued success. And my blessing is is that you outgrow your current facilities.
0: I mean, but we need a little bit of time, if that's okay, for that, but... <laughs> why it nah.
1: It. nah forget about it you don't need time you know.
0: but, but, but i do want to reiterate one one point is that all are invited to stop in sunday to for the grand opening there's music there should be really a really festive event between 12 and 2 p.m. At our base Chabad in West Bloomfield. Okay. That's going to do it. Thank you so much.
1: We're going to take a quick commercial break. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Shower. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com. And find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Hey, Scholz Finman here you're listening to the Jewish or Shower. let's listen to some music. This one kind of is a good segue. The song is called "Ani Yehudi" by Mordechai Shapiro. "Ani Yehudi" means "I'm a Jew," and uh, in the, it's a music video, of course. And in it, he's standing for the most part of, during the video on a street corner with a big sign that says, handwritten, that says, אני I'm a Jew. And the importance of being proud that we're Jewish. Let's give a listen.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ta mushinu talit vigant tvinin hangalin chut vimot down no i mind so harin eh hazin bokol ko le elonki told that the world can sometimes be so cold, but I never knew just how true those words could be until I grew. But I won't be afraid of who I am, of what I've made. I won't let hate define me. I'll keep shining just to wait and see. i need a Jew, i need you Jew, i i need you Jew, I'm a king, all of
1: We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call eight hundred six zero three eighteen thirteen. 603 1813 That's 800 Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Hey, Schultz, I'm going you listening to the Jewish Hour. We have up next, this is the, the uh, klezmer section of the show. This This band is called... Midwood, which is very interesting. there's a phenomena uh, with the regentrification of New York City in different neighborhoods. So Midwood has become a center for musicians. It's just it's an area it's located, Midwood I would say, is like an area between Crown Heights and Flatbush, and it's coming coming an neighborhood which is being, again, re, being regentrified, and there's, there's happens to be these like amazing bands. That are Andy Statman now lives in Midwood, or maybe he's been living there for this whole time. But uh, so, this group is simply called Midwood, and uh, there's all kinds of Midwood Klezmer concerts and festivals and whatnot. But uh, the song is simply called the Klezmer Waltz. And that was Midwood Klesmer Waltz. I would say that was a very slow waltz, but yeah, it's a very pretty tune. And, and uh, they're a, they're in a group that you should keep your eye on. They're gonna they're gonna be uh, they're gonna give a run for their money over there. And you know, if you get a chance, if they ever come to Detroit, I would suggest go see them. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good idea. The next song is written by Hanan Ben Ari, who just came out with a new album. Hanan Ben Ari. We have not played much of his, but he's been around Israel for quite a while and is making quite a stir with this new album. This piece is called. It's not the title track. Uh, I like this one better, believe it or not. It's called Yesh Kan Yoter Mizeh, which means there's there's more than what appears, and uh, that's always always seems to be the case that when something's happening, it's just it's like. There's more going on that we don't know about, and but thank God, God knows about him, and this is Hanan Ben Ari for you.
3: I don't know if I can't get it. I don't know it. I don't know if I can get I can't tell you, can you, tell Yes, be your term yes, be your term is a yes, be your a the DNA, can Yes, can you tell me that יש be your tell יש בי yes be your כאן יותר
1: Hi, Arshel here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. This week is the portion of Korach, This will be read in the synagogue on Saturday. It's found in the book of Numbers, chapter 16 and following. And most of the portion deals with Korach, who was a led a rebellion against Moses. And we're not going to talk about it. Interestingly enough, after Korach's rebellion it leads right away into the gifts that were given to the Kohan because Korach challenged the, the right of who gets to be a Kohan And so since Aaron and his children were guaranteed that they would be the Kohanim, plural of Kohen, so these are the things to get, the benefits that they get. After it mentions the things that the Kohanim get, so it says there's the next class of the Levites and what they get. And they get a whole lot less than what the Kohanim get. The Levites, who were basically in charge of maintaining the religiosity of the Jewish people, they were not given any land, but rather they they're, were given forty-eight cities that were scattered through six, twelve provinces, and were to act as the uh, the, uh, the guidance counselors or the uh, the, the I guess they call them the rabbis, I guess, but they would not have rabbis back then, but. So how did they make a living is, is, is that everybody was supposed to give 10% of their produce, 10% of their income was to be given to the Levites. And that way they were able to sustain themselves. It says actually, in, by the time we got to Talmudic times, which would put you about 1,200, 1,300 years after Moses, the Levites were really quite poor. And especially after the time of uh, of the prophet um, Ezra the, the Ezra the scribe that he said that because the Levites were all getting intermarried they the tithes should go to the Kohanim which Ezra happened to be a Kohen so the Levites really had it tough but I guess maybe in Second Temple time there was no tribes to begin with and so maybe they were already into getting into land I'm not exactly sure I haven't seen any socioeconomic discussions of the Levites during Talmudic times might be something to investigate, but the concept of tithing still remained, and the concept of tithing still remains till this day. And the way it's described in the in the Bible, not in this portion, but elsewhere, it says, "Asher to Asher, you should." It says you should definitely tithe there's a whenever a word is doubled in the khamish in the, in the bible it's means that there is an emphasis and is very often translated as you shall surely tithe you shall surely tithe meaning you got to do it if you want to be a little more modern you just could just say you listen you really got to tithe the rabbis make a rabbinic pun with the word ta'asir and say asir kideshi ta'asir, the words are very ashir. The words are very similar in spelling. It's a uh, homophobe and uh, or hominin, if you'd like to call it that, that you, which would be translated tithe, so that you may become rich. There is this idea of a quid pro quo. Of course, we've talked that. On Rosh Hashanah, a person is given their livelihood. That's how much it's appropriated. It's it's going to be distributed throughout the course of the year. And all of the money used that a person is going to require for all the mitzvahs that they do is also allocated. So that way, God says, listen, I've made mandates, and it would be unfair for me to make you pay for my mandates. So I'm going to pay for my mandates. So therefore, the the food that is eaten on the Sabbath and the esrog, and the matzah, and uh, various things. In addition, also, there's a mitzvot to give 10% of your income. So God says, okay, fine, I could do that. I'll give everybody 110% of their income. And then what they have to do is give 10% away. Okay, now, for whom is it harder? Is it harder for a person with a dime to give a penny? Or is it harder for a person with a billion dollars to give $100 To charity and the answer is it's hard for both to give away a, a portion of your money like this god knows god knows his customers but god says that you're not paying for it anyway and indeed god says that the expression is god the almighty doesn't remain indebted and if you said there's you have to give it away to poor people those people poor people need their money too and God says, You're taking care of my job. I'm supposed to give the money. You're doing it. You know what? I'll give you a commission too. So it says, that's why it says, you if a person will tithe, they'll see benefit. Not only will they not lose money, they'll be making money. What is this all based on? It's all based on faith and trust in the Almighty. And that's that's a tremendous lesson. But it says don't try, don't don't play games with this one. As it says there's a story about in the Talmud of a person who had a field that produced a thousand bushels of wheat, and he thought to himself, you know, if I give if I give a hundred bushels away, so that means I have nine hundred. So really, I should only give ninety, because that would be a tenth. Makes sense, right? He's only thrumbles is next year, his field get produced ninety, but nine hundred bushels of wheat, and so he only gave eighty, and this went on for ten years until finally the field that produced. A thousand bushels of wheat, and he gave away a hundred, was now producing a hundred. And it finally occurred to him, like, what am I doing? And so he gave 10, and the next year it was 20, he gave 20, and got it back up to a thousand, he was making a hundred. So I'm not going to say anything, I'm not guaranteeing anything, but it, that's the idea. The Almighty says, "You take care of me; I'll take care of you. We'll all live happy ever after," and that's what we want to do. Speaking of happy ever after, after the year, let's get through listening to this. I'd like you to peruse rabbifinman.com com and see all the things that we do there. We have insights into the portion of the week that's not specified over here, in both a media in various media. Let's put it that way. We have classes. We have you can. Uh, f- uh, mosey on down to jewishferndale.com to see what we're doing on and Ferndale, which we're doing lots and lots and lots of things. Just keep posted on that. And we have the very important donations page because we need your help. Thank God. This week, May, where are we? We're in uh, the middle of June. May was paid. Oh, good. Okay. Thank you. I knew it was going to happen. We've been doing this for almost for 29 years already. So it's... Uh, It's something to uh, take into consideration. You've been listening now for 53 minutes and five seconds. So go to RabbiFinman.com in just a couple minutes right after the story and uh, make a donation. Make it a small donation monthly. Make it a large donation one time. It's all good. Whatever you do, you want to listen, this is We Hope to Bring Quality radio listening to your device however you're you're listening to this or wherever you're listening to it whether you're you're jogging or driving or just sitting back and relaxing we want to make sure that that by the time you get done with this your brain feels good that you don't feel like you just had your brain implode with nonsense and dribble that's what we try to do and we've been aiming to do for 29 years and from the feedback that we get i think you know we've been doing pretty good at it so Rabbi donations do it. This story has such um, I've never seen a story with more corroboration. This story has been checked out and bonafide and guaranteed that this absolutely happened. Okay, and if you want to know all of the uh the pedigree on this story, write me a, drop me a note at rabbifinman.com and uh, I can explain to you what it was. But this is, this is a, an amazing story, that there was a couple that live, that li- is still alive, and I'm not exactly sure um, when the story started, but it, we can assume that it was sometime uh, recently, very recently. There was this, this couple, they lived in Israel, they live in Israel. And they didn't have any kids. We talked about. I was told Schnur I was going to, to Rabbi Silverberg that I was going to be telling a story about not having kids. So they didn't have any kids. They haven't gone to doctors and they have specialists and uh, all kinds of that. nothing. And it was really, it was really uh, weighing in on their marriage, and it was causing strife. And it was to the point that they've been married for ten years, and they were thinking maybe it's ten years. Maybe the Talmud suggests if you haven't had kids after ten years, you should get divorced. So they were seriously thinking about this. And this, um, this man, traveled to his Rosh Yeshiva, his his rabbi to ask his advice, and he told them, listen, try to make things up and try to make it work. It's not such a thing. You don't have to, you know, just that night, his wife had a dream, and she woke up her husband in the middle of the night, and she said she had a dream. What, what, what? The Lubavitcher Rebbe came to her. This is after the Rebbe's passing, and said, you're contemplating divorce, You should know that there is a capeda in Shemayim. There's a block. Somebody put up a roadblock. And it was caused by your husband's actions when he was his student that he did, uh, he led a campaign against Chabad and did many things which were, um, I guess you would say, uh, illegal. And that's why you were not having any kids. And she woke up. And he was just like really upset. You woke me up for some nonsense dream. And he fell asleep. And he had the same dream. So now they both had the same dream. When is it that people have, to have the same dream? But it says in the Talmud, dreams are vanity. It's what you've been thinking about. So it could very well have been why did he dream it? Because his wife told him about it, so he had the same dream. But it bothered him. So he went to go ask his rabbi. And his rabbi said, I don't place any credulity on dreams. But it seems to be bothering you. So what you need to do is you need to analyze what it was. So he told us for his rebbe. he said, yes, he led. He was not just a p- participant. He led a whole organized uh, uh, revolt, or whatever you would call it, against the Chabad movement in Israel when he was a student. Maybe beat people up. I'm not sure what he did. doesn't say in the story. So the rabbi told him that he has to go to the rebbe's grave in New York. With a minion, with ten men, and ask the rebbe's forgiveness. This is a thing which is actually done in Judaism. That at the time of a burial, people who are participant has make a, a, a they announce that if there's anything that we've done to uh, that wasn't according to your honor, please forgive us, and we forgive you for anything that you may have done. So there's spiritual stuff going on. So he said, but he said to him, he gave him like a little wink. He said, when you go, make sure that you don't take any Lubavitchers with you, because if you say what you did, they'll probably beat you up. So he managed to go there and, uh, with 10 people. And he had, uh, he, he, he enumerated all the things that he did. 10 months later, he had a son or they had a son and they have, uh, they're now a, uh, Have have many children now, and at this point, probably from the story, they may even have grandchildren at this point. I don't know, but that's going to do it. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope we had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. Take care.